The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. In today's message, we continue our series on the kingdom of God, where we are looking at the articles of faith of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. Today, we've reached Article 7. Article 7 states, We believe that baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ, and true believers in Him are the only subjects Christ instituted these ordinances for, and that baptism by immersion is the only proper mode. I expect to preach several sermons on this article of faith, and in fact, we may use this article of faith to talk more about the practice of the Primitive Baptist Church. But in today's message, we begin looking at immersion as the proper mode of baptism. I hope you will join us and stay with us through this exploration of our articles of faith here at Zion Primitive Baptist Church. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. This morning, the Lord being our helper, I want to go back to our Articles of Faith in our Kingdom of God series, and today we're going to move on to Article 7. Article 7 says, we believe that baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ, and true believers in Him are the only subjects Christ instituted these ordinances for and that baptism by immersion is the only proper mode. 
So here in this Article 7, we're beginning to get into the practice of the church. Now, Lord being our helper, I want to I talk more than just about baptism and the Lord's Supper as we deal with this article of faith. Because as I said, we are truly getting into some of the practices of the church. So maybe if, if the Lord continues to lead and, and will bless us, we're going to look at baptism. We're going to look at the Lord's Supper or communion. And we're going to look at some aspects of our public worship uh, and the way that we conduct it and the simplicity with which we conduct it. Some of you who have been here for a while may recall that sometime years ago, I preached a series on public worship. It included the fact that we don't use musical instruments. That's sometimes, you know, one of the most evident differences in a primitive Baptist church worship service and most worship services in the world. But also we talked about things like Sunday school and why we don't have that and, and the various things that may come up that affect our public worship. So you pray for me as we try to go through this, hopefully over the next few weeks, and maybe we'll come out with a little better understanding of why we do things like we do. And, and I want to point us back, before we go any further, to Article 2 of the uh, Articles of Faith here at Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which says, We believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the Word of God and the only rule of faith and practice. Now, while we may can look to history and historical precedents to help us understand and maybe even shore up some of the things that we believe, the primary and in fact only authority for the things we do in church has to come from the Word of God. Nowhere else. And what that means is this. Over in Jeremiah, he tells us to seek out the old paths. Wherein is a good way. And you say, well, the oldest I remember is granddaddy and how he did it. <laughs> or maybe great granddaddy and how he did it. Well, if great granddaddy and granddaddy did it according to the old paths of the scripture, then that's fine. But what counts is not what happened, you know, a few generations ago or 100 years ago or even 500 years ago. But what matters is what the word of God says we ought to be doing or where it is silent, or where it is silent. That's important as well. So especially, I just want to reemphasize, especially in the way we conduct things, the Word of God must govern it. Because, listen, I've got opinions. We all have opinions. But the only opinion that matters is God, God's opinion, God's opinion. So, so let's talk about these uh, ordinances of the church, uh, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. Now, first of all, I want to point out something that's important for us uh, in general as Baptists, that these, we believe, are ordinances and not sacraments. Sacraments. A sacrament is what's, uh, you'll hear that term often used uh, among our, our Roman Catholic friends in the Roman Catholic Church. They call these things, as well as some others, we'll look at it in a minute, sacraments. And a sacrament is a means of God's grace. That is, it's a ceremony by which God somehow imparts divine grace in a supernatural way. And at some level, a sacrament involves a supernatural work of God, okay? 
in the Roman Catholic Church, I'm not picking on that, I just want to share it with you to, to explain uh, maybe the difference. There are seven sacraments in the Roman Catholic Church. Baptism, confirmation, holy communion, confession, marriage, holy orders, and anointing of the sick. And I'm not uh, sure what all those are, but those are the seven sacraments or means of grace of the uh, Roman Catholic Church. And in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, second edition, this is what it says about those sacraments. These are efficacious signs of grace instituted by Christ and entrusted to the church by which divine life is dispensed to us. The visible rites by which the sacraments are celebrated signify and make present the graces proper to each sacrament. The church affirms that for believers, the sacraments of the new covenant are necessary for salvation. In other words, that without participation in these sacraments, you cannot be saved. You cannot go to heaven according to the Roman Catholic Church, their catechism, second edition. Ordinances are different. And let me just affirm to you, we do not believe that these are sacraments, that the Lord's Supper or baptism are sacraments. They are not means of grace. We'll come back to that in a minute. But an ordinance is simply a God-ordained ceremony, which is an act of obedience toward God. And there's nothing supernatural about the ordinance itself. Uh, in other words, uh, when we take someone into the waters of baptism and, and I take them down under and bring them back up, uh, there's no supernatural event that occurs. There's no supernatural uh, grace that's imparted apart from the general fact that the Holy Spirit is with us and God is pleased. Now that's a great blessing, but it's not, a, it's not the same as what they're calling a sacrament, which is a means of grace. And here's what I say about that. We believe here at this church that there are no means of grace. There are no means of grace. You know, what is a means? It's a work, right? That means we have to do something in order to get it. We have to do something. You know, in, in chapter 4 of Romans, in verse 4, he said, To him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So there is nothing here in the acts of this church that triggers an obligation on the part of God to dispense something here, uh, to dispense his grace here upon us, okay? In fact, Romans 11 tells us that if it's by grace, it's no more works. If it's works, it's no more grace. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. We don't believe that the Lord's Supper and baptism are means of grace. They are ordinances and not sacraments. Because you see what they are, think about what they are, and, I, and, and this is going to be important. We're going to talk about baptism in a minute. This is going to be important to remember as we think about how we're supposed to do these, these two ordinances, how we're supposed to carry them out. They are symbolic reenactments of the gospel message. You know, I get up here and preach the gospel. I tell you about the gospel. I explain the gospel. If I'm not preaching the gospel... I'm not preaching. Paul says in one place, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. He didn't say woe is unto me if I preach not. <laughs> it's okay not to preach if you're not going to preach the gospel. In fact, if you're not going to preach the gospel, please don't preach. <laughs> but it's the woe that he was experiencing was the burden he was experiencing is that he needed to preach the gospel. And that's what I'm hopefully doing here this morning is preaching the gospel. But when we carry someone into this baptistry, 
And we bring them down into the water. And, we, and then as pastor, as I lay them down under the water there and bury them in the watery grave, so to speak, and bring them back up, we have just seen the gospel message enacted. When we sit here uh, and we place the bread, uh, the unleavened bread and the wine uh, 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 separated from each other here on the, on the table in front of the pulpit and, and go through uh, the uh, ordinance of the Lord's Supper or the communion service, we are showing forth the gospel message, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what happens when the blood is separated from the body? Death. <laughs> I don't care. You can, there's all th sorts of things that doctors can do to resuscitate and revive you unless you don't have any blood in your body. And then you're, you're a goner. <laughs> you're a goner. If you bled out, you bled out. That's it, you know. You see, you have the wine and you have the bread. And we're showing forth the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the ordinances are symbolic reenactments of the gospel message. And therefore, they must reflect some or all of the elements of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just also say they are not requirements of salvation. Essentially, they are visual aids to help us understand better the work of Christ. And to be an ordinance, it must have been instituted by or commanded by Christ. And so, just briefly, think about baptism first you remember what happened back over in the third chapter of Matthew we're going to turn there in a few minutes but not right now unless you want to we're told that as John kind of argued with Jesus said no no Lord I can't you know I, I can't baptize you you need to baptize me in verse 15 Jesus said unto him suffer it to be so now for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness in other words this is something I have to do I have to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. And then, what, what are we told? John suffered him. John, he baptized him. Again, you don't have to turn over there, but in Matthew chapter 26, we'll get to it eventually. You'll read about the Lord Jesus Christ instituting the Lord's Supper, and we're told that he said, This do in remembrance of me. He commanded it, you see. So, having sort of laid that groundwork, let's, let's talk about... Baptism. Let's talk about baptism. And if you recall, our, our article of faith said, we believe that baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first part of that says, true believers in him are the only subjects Christ instituted these ordinances for. I want to skip over that and come back to that probably next time because we do affirm here at this church that believers' baptism is the only proper form of baptism, okay? But notice at the end there it says that baptism by immersion is the only proper mode. I've said this so many times it's not even, uh, probably doesn't bear repeating, but I want to remind you that these original articles of faith from 1847 are still our articles of faith today. And they're not just words printed on a page, they're based upon the Word of God. And we still today here at Zion Primitive Baptist Church believe that the proper mode of baptism is by immersion. And I want to take a few minutes to, uh, to go through this this morning and explain why that we believe this based upon the Scripture. The first thing, though, that I want us to look at is the definition of baptism. The definition of baptism. And, and, and I, I did a little search. Some form of the word baptize occurs 115 times 
in 91 verses in the King James Bible. And the, the, it, it's a Greek word, baptizo. Baptizo, that's the verb form of it. And the other, baptismos and others are variations of that verb form. And the Greek word choice here is significant. Now I'm not, buddy, I'm not trying to improve on the King James Bible. I believe it's fine like it is, but it does us good to do some word studies sometimes because here's something interesting and I believe important for us to know that there are two other Greek words that could have been used if God had meant sprinkle or pour. There's a Greek word, rantidzo, which means to sprinkle or to moisten. And there's a Greek word, keo, that's C-H-E-O in transliterated, which means to pour. But God didn't, prompt, didn't inspire the writers of the New Testament to use those words. He inspired them instead to use the word baptizo, baptizo. This word baptizo literally means to immerse or to submerge, to make fully wet. I have a, some of you know that Greek was my double major in college and, and my professor that I had throughout all of those, those courses gave me um, an old version of the Liddell and Scott's Greek and English lexicon. It's not a particularly religious oriented lexicon and I like to go back to it to see what the classical writers, what the ancient writers really believed that these words meant, okay? In Liddell and Scott's Greek and English uh, lexicon, the word baptizo means to dip repeatedly or to dip under. The word baptizo comes from another primary verb, bapto, B-A-P-T-O, which means to cover wholly with a fluid. And it's the word that was used in relation to dyeing garments. Not, and think about the process of dyeing a garment, of, of putting color on it, okay? You don't sprinkle that color on it. You soak it down into the dye so that it gets fully immersed and, 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 and you, you just can't dye something by sprinkling. They didn't have tie-dyes back then in the Old Testament, so in New Testament times. So uh, the, the definition itself is important. And you know, I've always said this, God's not trying to play hide the ball with us. God tells us things. The Lord Jesus Christ used terms sometimes that would would be explanatory to us, just like the new birth. He, he, he called regeneration the new birth because he knew that would prompt us to think about natural birth, and we would realize that the natural birth has, is not done at the request of the child being born. <laughs> the child being born has nothing to do with his birth other than being the subject of it, you see. And the Lord brought that to our minds. He used that so we would understand. He used the wind because he knew we would understand. Oh, we can't harness the wind and it blows and we see the effects, but we can't do anything about it. We can't make it happen. We can't stop it. He used different things like that. Well, I believe here he's not playing hide the ball either. He used the term baptizo because he knew that those Christians in that early church would understand, okay, it's like dyeing a garment. You have to dip it down under and bring it back up. And you remember our article, too, that said our only rule of faith and practice is what the Bible says. And that also means where the Bible's silent, we stay silent. And nowhere in the scripture is there any hint of pouring or sprinkling. Nowhere do we see that. 
And I want to turn to that for a few minutes. Let's look at the examples of baptism that we find in Scripture. Let's look at the examples. Turn back with me. I said we'd turn there over to Matthew chapter 3. And let's look at John's baptism. Let's look at what John was doing. And remember, John's name was John the Baptist. John the Baptist. That meant John the Baptizer. And whatever baptizo means, that's what John was doing. In, John, uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 3, in verse 1, it says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. By the way, that tells us something else important about baptism, that it's for the believer and it's for the repentant. Okay, we'll come back to that also at some point, Lord willing. And he goes on, we're told that this was not just John. I mean, John was John, but he was fulfillment of prophecy as well. And we read that in chapter, verses 3 and 4. And then in verse 5, it says, Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Notice that it said in verse 6, they were baptized in Jordan, not on the banks of Jordan, not near a well somewhere where they could dip it down and bring it up and pour it on you, but in Jordan is where he was. He, you don't find John baptizing anywhere but in Jordan because he needed the Jordan River in order for them to go down into it and to be able to come up out of it. So as we continue reading here, we're going to skip on down, but notice that that's how John was baptizing. And then we see Jesus' baptism beginning in chapter, this same chapter and. um Verse 13, it says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan, he's, he's at Jordan, unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him, and notice in verse 16, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And we read about the heavens being open and the dove descend, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. Well, I want to point out that in order to come up out of the water, he had to have gone down into the water, you see. He had to have gone down into the water. Over in the book of John, the third chapter, we see the example giving, given of the disciples' baptism. In John chapter 3, in verse 22, after it says, after these things, these things being the encounter with Nicodemus and the great message there about how the new birth is like uh, the wind and the womb and the water and also about it's like the brazen serpent lifted up in the wilderness and that's what Jesus was going to be doing. And it says, after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Enon near to, to Salim. Now look, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. Notice that the disciples had to be baptized where there was much water. It doesn't take much water to sprinkle or to pour, but it takes much water to be able to go down into and to be baptized under the water and to be brought out of it. But notice also in the scripture over in the book of Acts, the eighth chapter, probably one of the clearest examples of how baptism ought to be done. In Acts chapter eight and um, 
verse 26, we're told, The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. The scene is said here that we are being focused upon a desert caravan. The wilderness that he has gone out into is a desert. That's, the, that's what wilderness really meant in the, uh, in the area of Judea. And this man was a great man. He wouldn't have been a straggling traveler that was barely getting by. He would have been someone in a, in a caravan of, that was fairly nice uh, because if you notice he was in a chariot and the Spirit of the Lord uh, sent Philip, to, told him to go near and join himself to the chariot. And so Philip ran up to him and he began to preach unto him Jesus. And you know the rest of the story. He didn't understand what he was reading, but he was interested in it. And in verse 36, it says, As they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? I want to just stop right there and say this. Remember, we're in a caravan in a desert. We're in a caravan that would have been prepared for a long journey back to Ethiopia. We're in a caravan that would have had multiple water skins and pots of water or something to convey water with, to carry water with. It would have been easy for Philip to take one of those water skins and say, hey, just come here and we'll keep rolling on down the road and I'll pour some water on you or I'll sprinkle water on you. But clearly Philip had been preaching to this eunuch and, you know, we don't know what all he, we, all we know is that he preached Jesus, but part of preaching Jesus is preaching the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and preaching obviously about baptism. And so when they came to this oasis, when they came to this certain water, it was at that point the eunuch realized, I need, I need to be baptized and here's a place where it can occur. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Which is not what I want to preach on this morning, but understand that that's one of the primary places we, we get the fact that believers are the only subjects qualified to be baptized. And that means not infants, and that means not those who are not believers, you see. Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I, I, I said I wasn't going to get off on of Let me just say this. What, what does it mean to be a believer? Well, preacher, it means you've got to memorize the articles of faith, and you've got to be able to recite them all, and you've got to be able to understand and ask questions about them. And, hey, if you're a preacher, amen, you do. If you're going to be preaching, you need to know this, okay? All right? Now, if you're, a, if you're a congregation member, you ought to be learning this, okay? But a candidate for baptism, what does he have to believe? That Jesus Christ saved him from his sins. I, I, I always pick on Meredith. My kids, I'm sure they hate being preacher's kids, but um, when they were little, you know, the kids would talk about wanting to be baptized. Sometimes they'd see somebody, and you want to make sure they really understand what what the situation is. Meredith, she's probably eight or, nine, eight or nine years old. I can't remember. No older than 10. 
Daddy, I want to be baptized. Okay, well, we'll talk about it, you know. And if she keeps, she kept, Daddy, I want to be baptized. Finally, one night at the supper table, I said, Meredith, uh, why do you want to join the church? She said, because I believe that when Jesus said, it is finished, he put away my sins. I said, sweetheart, if I can find a tub, I'll put you in it right now. <laughs> the next Sunday, she joined the church and was baptized. Because you see, she didn't understand all the details. She knew Jesus was the Savior. You know, Job, you know, some churches might, might not be, think Job was qualified for baptism. You know what Job, Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that at the latter day, he shall stand upon this earth. And yea, though the skin worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Job, what's the proper mode of practice at the Primitive Baptist Church? I don't know about no primitive Baptist church, but I know my Redeemer lives, you know. Now, look, I'm not saying ignorance is bliss. It's not. Ignorance is bad. <laughs> you need to grow. You need to learn. You don't just get baptized and then go on like you were. You need to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. But these qualifications sometimes that we put on baptism are a little too stringent. But anyway, as I said, you can, you can ignore that. I wasn't going to preach on that this morning anyway. So <laughs> we'll come back to that. But notice what it says. Verse 38, going back to the mode of baptism, and he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they both they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Notice what happened. In verse 39, it says, When they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. They went down into the water, and they came up out of it. So it really looks to me like in every case of baptism we see in the scripture, there has to be enough water to go down into it and enough water to come up out of it. And that's not required for sprinkling or pouring. Going to the definition of baptism, which means to immerse, going to the examples of scripture, we see that this given us some pretty good evidence, is it not, that, that immersion is the only proper mode. Well, let's, let's move now to the symbolism of baptism. And I believe above all else, this will help us to be satisfied that this is the right mode of baptism. Remember, an enactment of the gospel message, that's what, that's what these ordinances are. They are enactments of the gospel message. They are a visual depiction of the good news of the gospel, okay? That's what an ordinance is. And baptism in particular symbolizes the believer's identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll turn with me over to Romans, the sixth chapter, we're going to jump in the middle of a section here that's uh, talking about death and sin and, and life in Christ. But, but I want you to look beginning in verse 3. We're going to just start right there. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into, Christ, into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Notice all the symbolism language here. Like as, in the likeness of. 
And the point of this is that here in baptism, he's speaking to those who have been baptized into the church. We're going to see shortly, I don't know if it'll be this morning or at a later message, that baptism is not necessary for eternal redemption. Baptism is not what gets us born again. Baptism is a symbol, and it is only a symbol, but it, has, it needs to be the right symbol. It needs to be the right symbol. Colossians 2 and verse 12 says we are buried with him in baptism and we are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Now I want to ask you something about death and burial. If somebody dies in this church and wants to be buried out here in the cemetery, what do we have to do in order to do that? Well, you know what we have to do, especially uh, Brother Roger and Brother James and some others that are involved in the cemetery, you have to get a backhoe in here and have to dig a hole, have to get enough dirt, have to get the casket, have to put it in the ground, have to cover it up, okay? What if we just decided that we were going to go out here and take the body of the dead person and lay it out here on top of the ground and sprinkle a little dirt over it and then just leave it and, and see what happens? Well, first of all, we'd run afoul of the authorities because that would be abuse of the corpse in our current legal system. But secondly, we wouldn't do that because that is not proper burial. That is not a proper burial. We have to dig the hole, put the person down in it, and in this life, they stay there. The body stays there, okay? But one day, we have the great hope that is an anchor of our soul that maybe we'll be standing out here. I hope I'm in this graveyard when the Lord comes back. I hope I'm either in the graveyard or in a nursing home. I hope, I, I would love to be in one of those two places to see the change in those people in that nursing home or the change in these bodies out here in the cemetery. But if I'm in that cemetery, when the Lord comes back, at some point that dead body that's buried under the ground in that watery grave is going to come up out of that grave. He's going to be resurrected. And that's exactly what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was buried and then he was resurrected. Now we bury people in, in the sense of digging graves out here. They buried them in the side of a mountain. But either way, they were put under the ground. They were put out of sight. And then they were brought out. The Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected when the stone was rolled away and the baptism that we do here at this church is a symbol of that you think about it when you take when when the pastor takes the person who is a candidate for baptism and symbolically he lays him down under the water into the watery grave and by the way we don't keep them there do we <laughs> That wouldn't work too well. That wouldn't work too well at all. There'd be some fighting going on. But instead, we bring them back out of the watery grave like the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was buried and then he was raised again. He came out of that grave. And as a matter of fact, another thing about the symbolism of baptism, one of the reasons I believe that the way to do it is immersion is also because of what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 20. We'll probably close with this this morning. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. 
I want you to notice Jesus' response. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? You know the rest of that story. They went on to say we are, but they didn't know what they were talking about. But notice what Jesus did here. He used baptism as a symbol of what was going to happen to him in a very short time, his death, burial, and resurrection. Beloved, I want to say to you this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't going to just be sprinkled with the wrath of God. He was going to be fully immersed in it. In the hand of the Lord, we're told in Psalm 75, there's a cup and the wine is red. It is full of mixture and he poureth out of the same, but the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. Now, the wicked of the earth are going to do that, but the Lord Jesus Christ did it for us. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't just take a sip here and there. He drank it to the dregs, the wrath that should have been reserved for you and I. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we're told that he, he became sin for us. He, he didn't just have a little bit of it on him or he didn't get sprinkled with it. He became sin for us. Baptism is what he called it. He said, I'm going to be baptized with a baptism that you can't be baptized with. You see, it wasn't just something simple as pouring or sprinkling. It was immersion. We don't have time this morning to talk about the proper understanding of baptism. But I want you to understand this morning that baptism is not a means of eternal redemption. It's not a means of eternal salvation. We'll get to that, Lord willing, next time. But the proper mode of baptism ought to point us toward what is the only hope of eternal salvation, which is the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.